Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have author Stephanie London. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. How has your 2022 been so far? Um, I think like the last couple of years, it's a roller coaster of emotions most days. Um, we were supposed to go home for my sister-in-law's wedding and COVID kind of gave us a few troubles there, but we feel like we're starting to come out of it. Here in Toronto, we're getting out and about a little bit more. So that is definitely like giving me life. <laughs> I think I heard on, I think when you were on our friend Laura from What to Read Next podcast, you're from Australia. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. So what was, was there like a big culture difference or culture shock when you moved to Canada? That's a great question. So I think actually one of the things that drew us to, because like we could really have gone anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't, like it wasn't like one of us got a job and that's why we specifically came here. We kind of just decided we wanted to go overseas and we had a friend that had already come from Australia to Toronto and he's like, guys, you'll, like, you'll love the city here. It's so vibrant. It's like great food, great culture. Like you'll just, you'll love this city. You should come here. And then when we came here, we're like, yeah, there's like a lot of similarities between Canadians and Australians. Like people are really friendly. It's quite laid back. Um, but there's also a few differences as well, of, particularly if my husband works in the corporate environment and corporate culture is very different in Canada than in Australia. So we have, yeah, we have noticed a few little differences. Um, Australians can be a bit blunt and I think sometimes like, that gets him in a bit of trouble at work. So, <laughs> you know, we tend to just like say it like it is and the Canadians like, well, maybe that could have been said a little bit nicer. Um, yeah. They um, say sorry a lot in, yeah. in Canada. <laughs> yeah, but we love it here and we've made lots of Canadian friends and it's just um, like, honestly, we weren't planning to stay beyond like two or three years with our visa and um, now we have it. We own a house and we love it here and I don't think we'll leave anytime soon though. Wow, fell in love with the city. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Well, are you ready to get into some icebreakers? Yes, let's do it. All right. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Uh, prone to hangriness. <laughs> oh, well, I'm familiar yeah. with that one. Yeah. <laughs> I asked my husband this morning, I was like, what do you think my warning label should be? And he's like, uh, grumpy when not fed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yes. What is your most used app? Um, I am not a big, I try really hard not to be on my phone very often. So my phone is actually quite sparse, but two apps that I check all the time are the NBA and MLB apps. So I constantly really? like, want to know when the next game on, what's this? I will like look at the app to see what everyone's scored during the game. And yeah, so I'm on those sports apps quite a bit. That is so cool. That's, that's curious because I mean, I feel like baseball isn't much of a big sport outside of the United States and Japan. So it, it's... <laughs> It's yeah, it's true. Of... Actually, I didn't like any sport until we moved here. I'm just like, oh, clearly I prefer North American sports. Now I watch baseball, I watch basketball, I watch Formula One. Uh, yeah, I'm really into sports over this side of the world. What is the first song on the soundtrack to your life? Oh, this is this is a tough one. Um, I decided to go with Chumbawamba, Tub Thumping. It's that I get knocked down, yeah. but I get up again. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't yeah, thought of that it, like, song in a while. Yeah, it's, it's super. I know I'm showing my age here a little bit, I think. It's like quintessential Saturday night skating rink music. Yeah. Uh, it's, for me, it's like going out to an Irish pub somewhere in Australia and getting um, having a great time on very cheap drinks is what that song reminds me of. Yeah. The nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. 
Who was your teenage celebrity crush? Uh, there was a lot, uh, but I had to go <laughs> with Jonathan Taylor Thomas from Home Improvement. Oh, yes. That might have been my very, very early teen years, but uh, my dad used to love um, Tim Allen, so that show was always on at my house, and mm-hmm. I had quite the quite the collection of posters inside my wardrobe door of JTT when I was a teenager. Like, what happened to JTT? He just like, <laughs> fell off the face of the earth, didn't he? Just disappeared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the last time I saw him actually acting was he appeared as like a guest on Seventh Heaven, which that was still oh a gosh. long time ago. Oh my <laughs> yeah, that's a blast from the past. <laughs> I feel like kids with crushes these days, they have to be so different. Like our crushes felt so far away from us, but now you yes. can just like follow them on Instagram or like they probably have a YouTube channel and you can watch them on YouTube. It's like, they're so accessible. And I'm like, I wonder if that takes some of the... I don't know, the funness out of it. I don't know. Mm. Like There was something like, I felt like I would never run into Justin Timberlake unless I went to a concert, you know, or like I had his poster. But now I could just follow him on Instagram. And it's like, it takes some of the mis- like mysteriousness away from it, I think. That's so true. Because I feel like the closest connection that we had back then was like waiting for like the next month's TV Hits magazine to come out and like hoping that there was a poster in there. And that was sort of the closest we would ever get. But now, yeah, you're so right with social media it does feel like that they're I get it, but maybe that's what fuels a lot of these like sort of celebrity romances and stuff is because it does yeah. feel like you could run into them or, you know, reach them in some way. We read on your website that one of your passions is anything zombie related. And we'd <laughs> yep. love to know more about it. Yes. So the zombie genre as a whole is like one of my has been for a long time like one of my favorite things. Um we in our house play a lot of video games and so like the zombie like survival horror genre for video games is like one of my favorite things ever. I grew up playing um, Resident Evil with my little sister when we were like had our you know first PlayStation back a long time ago. And yeah, the movies. I don't know what it is because it's so. I don't know. Maybe I have a very high tolerance for gore when I watch things, but I just something about the like survival instincts and how that affects the way that humans behave. I find so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I was up one night and I was like, I'm gonna watch Night of the Living Dead. I think it was like during the fall. So, you know, you want to watch all the scary movies. And I was like, okay, it's the old like black and white one. I'm like, surely this isn't going to be scary. I made it like 30 minutes in. And I was like, there's (laughs) something really creepy about zombies in like black and white film. It's like, I cannot do this. So yeah, we we were like, oh, we have to talk to Stephanie London about this zombie passion of hers. Yeah, and I love telling people about it too, because I feel like it's almost the antithesis of like fluffy rom-com. And I like the, I don't know, the I guess the dichotomy of those two things. Yeah. Something like super gory and scary. And then this like light and fluffy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely understand that. Yeah, I I either want a sweet romance or I want to be absolutely terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in between. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like paranormal, we need like paranormal to really come back. And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe we can get a zombie mm-hmm. romance that makes sense. <laughs> I would read the crap out of that. <laughs> Well, we love hearing romance origin stories. So can you share with us how you became a romance reader? Yeah, so my origin story is actually funny because it's very deeply intertwined with my writing story. So I actually had not read 
a lot of romance um, until I was an adult. Um, I mean, I had stolen a few like V.C. Andrews books off my mum's bookshelf before I was probably old enough to be reading that stuff truthfully. (laughs) But beyond that, I hadn't really dabbled in the genre. I've always been um, a mystery reader. And I wanted to write a book. I've known that for my whole life, basically. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to write. And it was actually my sister that said to me, you know, maybe you should write a romance novel because it's just stories about people and you're really good with people and you know about motivations and stuff. So she's like, you know, you like you can do that. You can dig into that. And I was like, yeah, maybe I could. So I, my mom like literally went to our local um, charity store and bought me a stack of Harlequin category books and gave them to me. And she said, here you go, read these and see what you think. And I fell in love with the genre because I decided I wanted to write. And it was just the most wonderful thing because I was like, why have I never read these books before? I just, I guess I didn't know anybody that read romance. And so I didn't, had no one had introduced me to the genre. And in reading those books, I still remember the first book I ever read was a Kate Hardy. It was, I'm pretty sure it was a medical romance. And they were like on a plane and someone collapsed and there's a hot doctor on there. And I was like, oh, this is so dramatic. I love it. And I just was totally swept away as a reader. And so I found my passion for writing romance and reading romance basically at the same time. That is so That's cool. great. Yeah. That's really awesome. I was an adult romance like I didn't come to it until Same. I was an adult too yeah. so because I feel like you meet people and most people are like oh, I was you know stealing them off mom's bookshelf yeah. when I was little and I like I didn't have that experience and sometimes I felt like oh my god there's like so much canon that I have to catch up on I yeah. feel like I'll never yeah. be able to read enough <laughs> to catch people that have been reading it their whole lives so yeah it's such a it's such a great genre because I, I say to a lot of people that the best thing about romance is that it doesn't matter what you like there will be a book for you like literally mm-hmm. anything that you're interested in you can find a romance to fulfill that thing and um so I have basically then just spent the past I mean how many years is it probably 10 years now since I started um just devouring whatever I could and exploring all different sections of the of the genre well congratulations on your newest release the dachshund wears prada which is book one in your pause in the city series can you share with our listeners what the book is about yes so um and I'm gonna apologize in advance in Australia we say dachshund and I know it's incorrect but it's just how it comes out of my mouth so I apologize for any <laughs> I announced it that way and I was corrected yeah I, I like, think it's just, wrong it's like is it just my American country I was like okay. no I, I think it's incorrect but if I try to say dachshund I like trip over my words so I'm like I'm just gonna just lean into being incorrect in this instance um you so wrote the book so you call it whatever <laughs> yeah. you want please this is your show <laughs> Uh, so The Dash Hand West Prada is a really fun and uplifting romantic comedy about a hermit hero who inherits a dash hound um, when his eccentric grandmother passes away. And this dog is referred to as a hellhound in the book, which is a very accurate description. She is sassy and feisty and full of personality. Um, but after going through about 10 dog sitters in as many days um he realizes that he needs someone that's going to be able to put up with this crazy dog Mm -hmm. and isla is the heroine she starts off um in the book as a social media consultant to celebrities and she has a huge viral incident that basically gets her completely booted from the industry she's got a black mark on her name and she bumps into theo in central park when he's in disguise and 
the dog seems to really like her. And so on the spot, he offers her a job uh, to dog sit um, this little dash hound. And what she realises is that that involves a little bit more than what she was expecting. And she's essentially a personal assistant to this super wealthy dog (laughs) with a crazy social schedule. I died when I was like, she's taking her to a dog psychic? (laughs) Is this a real job? Like, I'm jealous because I've never even been to a psychic. Right. And it is, I, like, because I mean, I was like, I thought I just made that up. I'm like, that cannot be a real thing. And it is. It's a real thing. I love it (laughs) so much. (laughs) Well, you you mentioned Isla's mistake that goes Mm -hmm. viral, which I think is just really significant because at any moment, any of us can make a mistake on social media and you're done. Yeah. Um, So where can you talk about the inspiration for this particular scene? Like, where did it come from? You know, I think part of it comes from my own fear of making a mistake in public a little bit. I think that as authors, and I mean, I have to preface this with the fact that like, I am truly introverted. Like if there was an option for me to live in a cabin in the woods and just write books and, you know, live that like witchy wood life, I would totally be there. Um, And I think that that means that sometimes the aspects of being um, in the public as an author, I find kind of uncomfortable and a bit scary sometimes. Um, I'm the person that never liked to upset anyone. So I just have this fear of like, what if I do something wrong and, you know, and I make people angry and I, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. mean it. Like there is that fear that I don't want to hurt people. And I think that, I, I think that's common in talking to other people. I think there are a lot of people out there that have that fear. And so I was kind of like that fear in itself is kind of boring for a book so how can I like 10x that and make it really horrible and you know these stories of viral things going um blowing up and ruining someone's careers and not that uncommon really like you could if you google that you could find a bunch of stories so I was kind of thinking about yeah how can I kind of take that I think a fear that a lot of people feel and sort of blow it up and make it really huge and impactful uh, in a way that a story needs Well, Camilla, our little four-legged protagonist, is truly the driving force of the plot and the romance between Isla and Theo. What did you enjoy about writing her? Literally everything. (laughs) She... Literally everything. She was... uh, Writing animal characters is basically my favorite thing ever because it's one it's quite a challenge because the dogs don't have any dialogue themselves Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. everything that they're saying has to come through like the humans are almost like a mouthpiece and interpretation of what the dog is thinking and how they're acting so I like the challenge of figuring out how to deliver that uh, into a story but also the fact that I mean sometimes as you know as writers we are concerned somewhat with the likability of our characters and I don't need to do that with a dog I can just make her as wild and out there and moody and emotional and just extreme as I like and it's um because it's done in a humorous way it really adds something to the book whereas I do have to sometimes keep my characters in line a little bit because I want the reader to really root for them as a couple and I you know I think humans also are very like we're very aware of how we're perceived and you know we tend to hold ourselves back whereas um animals obviously don't have that sort of self-censoring thing about them so they will just stop off if they're angry and they'll snap if they want to and you know I love that kind of like unfiltered emotion yeah it's like (laughs) when Isla shows up to like the play date and the other like dog sitters or dog moms are like so how long are you gonna last and it just like (laughs) lets you know like she has this big personality that people Mm -hmm. know like people don't tend to last with Camilla you know (laughs) so 
I yeah. thought it was good. And I think that it's sort of like I actually did quite a bit of research because I haven't actually ever owned a Dash Hound myself. I've had – I know people who have had those dogs and their reputation is always such that they are, you know, very tiny dogs with very large personalities and that they can be um, – I mean, they were bred for badger hunting. So that's okay. why they are the shape that they are, so they can get down into the badger holes. But, but And badgers are quite aggressive animals. So in order to match that, Dash Hound had to be quite aggressive and stubborn. And it's funny because, you know, obviously that's not really what they're used for now. They're a sort of a pet. But they still retain those characteristics mm-hmm. of that need to have a bit of fight in them. And they're quite feisty. And I so, yeah, I watched a lot of videos on YouTube of owners of Dash Hounds talking about what their dog's personality was like and how they have tried and failed to train them because they're quite stubborn (laughs) and I was like okay this is like the fuel I need for Camilla's personality yeah yeah (laughs) well the book mentally transports you as a reader to New York City which I think is just always so fun to see so what advice do you have for aspiring writers on vividly capturing a sense of place in their books Yeah, this can be a really tough thing, especially if you're not from the area that you're writing about. Because I notice that my process is different, whether if I'm writing about Australia, I feel it because I know it, you know, it's in me. It's like, I know the smells of this place. I know all of these things. Whereas when I set books in New York, I've only been to New York twice. So it is definitely um, something that is a more conscious process, I guess I would say. And I think that, I think what's really a good thing to do is to try and like digitally immerse yourself in the location. So I will watch videos of people from New York talking about New York. I will go on, I like literally sometimes will go on Google maps and set it to like the earth view so that I can see things. And I will like walk myself through Central Park and see what people can see. And, you know, I will sort of try to think about like, what would they be smelling? What would they be hearing? And, slowly piece by piece I kind of bring all of those elements together to create the setting um but then the other thing that I do is also I create my version of New York so I I think the idea of trying to capture it so authentically that it's like the very real place exactly as it exists in real life is quite daunting so I sort of decided that I'm going to create my version of New York this is what it smells like this is what it sounds like this is how it feels and then that way I can create consistency across any books that I set in that location as well which is really important um and so I'm all almost building it as I would build a fictional setting, but I'm drawing on fact to um, make it feel like the real place. Yeah. I think the story, like you could have set it anywhere and it'd be like, okay, you've lost your job and you have to start over. And I think that's like a universal, it sucks no matter where Mm -hmm. you are, but like it feels so much more like heightened when you know it's set in New York because you, even if you've never been there, like I've never been there, but I know like it's a very expensive city and she's taking care of her sister. So like that New York mindset of like, I need to hustle. My sister wants to be in ballet and she wants to go to school like I need to get a job it's just like even though like you're it's like nothing to do with the setting just knowing that you've set the book in New York City it's Mm -hmm. like kind of lingering in the background of like oh she has to make it you know because this is not like a cheap place to live yeah totally and I think that there's also a bit of this like aura around New York that's like people go there to make it and if you don't make it you've failed kind of thing and so I I think I definitely wanted to like capture that with Isla's story because I feel like that that trying and stumbling and trying again is a story that I find really resonant and hopeful. I think, especially in this day and age where people are so many people are going off and doing things, you know, they're starting their own business or they're trying to build something for themselves and nobody 
can build that thing without having some kind of stumbling blocks along the way. So I think it's really important that we see that in stories because it gives people that hope to say, yes, I can dust myself off and try again. And it doesn't mean that I've done something wrong. It's just like part of the journey. So from what we can see online, book two of the series, Pets of Park Avenue, is scheduled for release this upcoming December. Is there anything you can share with us about this book? Yeah, so that book is already written and edited. I think I'm down to like the final stages now. So we work very far ahead of schedule. I'm actually drafting the third book at the moment. So yeah, we do work quite far ahead. And Pets of Park Avenue is about Scout, who was in the first book. She's Isla's best friend. She's kind of a bit of a hot mess, like not very organized, but she's like very lovable and kind. And her story is actually a second chance um, romance. So what you find out is that she's actually married and hasn't seen her husband for five years that they got they had a whirlwind marriage in Vegas and then they came back to New York and it all fell apart and but they have never gotten divorced they basically she walked away and that's the last they've spoken to each other and then being a bit of a hot mess <laughs> kind of a, a person who doesn't always have the best decision making processes um, Scout is in a situation where she accidentally dyes a dog pink in a photo shoot um, and then she needs a replacement and it's very lucky that her uh, her husband happens to have that exact type of dog. So they need to do a bit of a bait and switch with the dogs. And that's how she comes back into his life. She's such a fun character, I think, because like personality wise, it's about as opposite to me as a person as you could possibly get. And so I really love writing characters that are just so different to how I am because you kind of get to explore those different types of personality traits. And, you know, Isla is so like sensible and responsible. I think as friends, they're really great because they're kind of like almost like an opposites attract situation themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have to chat your category writing yes. days while we have you here. So you, ma'am, have written some books. Okay. <laughs> your first two books released in 2014 mm-hmm. with Harlequin's Kiss Line, yes. which we have been chatting a lot about lately. So tell us about your journey getting published. You we, we you already told us like you pretty much started reading and writing romance around the same time. So take mm-hmm. us from that stack of books mom got us from the bookshop to getting published. How did it happen? So I had joined a writers group in Australia um, that's the Melbourne Romance Writers Guild. Shout out to those ladies. They're amazing. And um, I was just trying to immerse myself in like the process. I had no idea. I was super green. And I was just kind of writing a few things here and there. And I had um, one of the ladies in the group was a freelance editor, but had written and read romance for a long time. And I still remember that she pulled me aside after a meeting and she said to me, she's like, how long have you been writing? And I was like, oh, well, this is, you know, I joined in August and I've been to a couple of meetings. And she's like, you haven't really written before that. And I was like, not, not fiction. I've written in my job. And she was like, you need to keep going. Like this is, it's not normal to be this good when you're like only a few months in like that. Just it's, she's like, I have good juju about this. You need to keep doing it. Please tell me that you're just, even if you get rejected, don't quit. You have to do this. And it was like such a, I don't know. I just, one of those moments in your life where you're like, this is like the universe is trying to tell me something. I'm being pushed in a direction and I'm going to follow that feeling. So NaNoWriMo rolled around, which for those who don't know is National Novel Writing Month. It takes place every November. And the goal is to try and write 50,000 words in a month. And on day one, I decided with zero planning and preparation that I was going to write 
a book that month. Um, that's how <laughs> I like course. to do things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do it. And I have nothing prepared, but that's fine. Um, but I had this idea in the, I'd read an article years ago about um, NFL players taking ballet lessons for sort of like muscle conditioning and rehab. And I had studied ballet for a long time myself as a child from the age of about 15 until I was 20. And so I, I just, the, the thought of like these big burly guys standing in a bar in a ballet studio cracks me up. I'm like, that's such a great, like, you know, um, opposition kind of thing. And so I was like, I'm going to put that in a book. I'm going to write a ballerina, heroine, and I'm going to write a football player. Um, it was Aussie rules football because I sit it in Australia and I'm going to just do that. And I managed to get some of the book written in nano and then I finished it uh, probably by about February the next year. And around that time, I was reading a lot of Kiss books um, because the line was new and um, they had these beautiful pink spines and they were so colourful and girly and like basically just had read me written all over it. It's so gorgeous. And so I was reading those books and I saw that one of the authors, uh, Nicola Marsh, who is a wonderful, wonderful author, was having, uh, she was hosting a competition on her blog, on her website, to find the next voices for Kiss. And so you had to submit a paragraph pitch of what the book was about and um, that they would pick some winners from that to kind of get their book looked at by an editor. And I, I literally found it on Twitter the day it was closing. <laughs> Like with several hours to go. So I didn't have time to overthink it. I was like, okay, I just have to, like, I literally like just banged up a paragraph, put it on and was like, eh, this is not going to go anywhere. But I feel like, you know, finding it at the last minute's kind of, it's a sign I should do it. So I did that. And then two days later, I got an email from Harlequin saying that I didn't final in the top three, but they thought my idea had promise and um, I could send the manuscript to them if I wanted. Oh my and gosh. I <laughs> I was so excited. I remember I was standing at a tram stop on my way to work and I was so flustered. I deleted the email and then I was like, oh no, I have to go fish it out of my trash. What if it's gone forever? Yeah. Uh, so existential crisis this moment. Is the one time that the trash just disappears. Yeah. No, my email is not even on my phone anymore. No. And I found it in there um, in my light moment of almost having a complete breakdown about it. And I sent off my manuscript and um, a couple, I think it was a couple of weeks, they had a pretty quick turnaround time they came back and said look um we think your voice is really amazing but the story needs some work which it definitely did and so here's a revision letter so I did the revisions and then I waited months and months and months and then I got a phone call with the editor and she's like you know you've done so well but like the story's not quite there so here's another revision letter so I did those revisions and then I got another email and they're like you're really really close this time but you know here's another <laughs> revision letter <laughs> And I um, remember the day that I got the call, I was working in the banking industry in Australia doing corporate communications for one of the biggest um, CIOs in the country. It's a very high pressure job. And I was supposed to be at a Christmas lunch with my team and I had been called back to the office so that I could courier papers to a yacht for the CIO. Like, it's like the devil wears Prada, but like none of the good clothes. <laughs> and I was angry and I had this awful day and I hated working for this boss. She was just so mean to me. And I was just like, I got home and I was like, I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. I'm so unhappy. And 
I was scrolling Twitter on my phone and I saw that the editor was like, we're making some calls today before we shut the office for Christmas. And I literally put my phone down on the coffee table and I stared at it and it started ringing. And then I, and I made such a fool of myself on this phone call. I was crying because I'd had this, I was so emotionally like wrecked from this awful day at work. And I was like, I'm sorry, I am very happy, I promise. <laughs> oh my God. I was so emotional. And um, I got off the phone and they offered me a two book contract and my husband was like right get dressed we're going out for champagne right now and we called our friends and they came out and met us at a bar in the city and and I the whole time sat there drinking my champagne being like did I make this up like what if I just imagine this in my head and it's not real and it's it was just the most it was the first book I'd ever written it was such a whirlwind I had no idea how any of it worked I was just swept along and um it changed my life that is the coolest thing I've ever heard it's such a fun story (laughs) yeah just hearing about the bad day I'm like oh that would be Mm -hmm. such a good (laughs) rom-com right I'm like how how have I not put this in a book yet I need to do that (laughs) selfishly I want you to do it so just saying Well, and the person that makes those calls too, I'm sure they get all sorts of reactions, you know, <laughs> and, you know, people, you know, thinking they're lying or it's a prank or something or, or to the, you know, crying. And, yeah. And, well, I, <laughs> apparently the quiet, the crying is pretty common. Um, so I didn't feel too bad about that, but it was just, you know, I think when you're trying to get published, all you hear is how difficult it is. Yeah. And it is, it is hard. It's a challenging thing. And when you put so much of yourself into a book, having someone reject it can be quite a painful experience for new authors even though you know that like this is just going to be and since then I mean I sold my first book but I've been rejected plenty after that because it is literally just part of putting yourself out in the world sometimes you're going to swing and you're going to miss and that's just how it is but you know it can be it can be that that like knowing that you finally got that foot in the door is just such an emotional feeling. It's the best feeling ever, but it's also terrifying because now you're like, oh my god, now this is real, and I have to capitalize on it. And um, it's yeah, it is a roller coaster of emotions. Can we talk real quick about rejections? Because I don't think mm. we've ever asked this question. Like, so you've you you have books, like you put books out there. They've been published, and like you said, you've still, as Stephanie London, gotten rejections. When you get rejections. Is it just, we're not looking for this right now? Like, what are some of the examples? I think people, I think people probably take it really personal, but it's like, maybe there's reasons. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I think I'm lucky that I I have a, a level of confidence that I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing with my life. And so when someone rejects me, I can very easily separate that as they're not rejecting me, they're just rejecting this project. The book, and yeah. I'm I'm quite good with that, but I have I have some friends that take it really really hard and to the point that sometimes it almost stops themselves submitting, which I think is really sad because these are wonderful women with stories to tell and you know people say no to us that's just like how it works it's not a bad thing it's it just is and so a, a book can be rejected for any number of reasons um sometimes it's that this thing is not selling at the moment or we don't think we can sell this thing at the moment sometimes it's hey we've actually like literally just acquired something that has something just like it. that happens a lot uh, sometimes it's that the voice is not a good fit, which is a rejection that I've had several times. So um, I, I, sorry if this is skipping ahead, but I'd been through a couple of different Harlequin lines and I actually tried 
to get into uh, two other different lines that they have. And both times, after several attempts, I was getting rejected because I was too funny. The books were too humorous. And I love that you're funny. So <laughs> <laughs> don't change that, please. I like it. And, and, you know, and that's the reason I ended up walking away was because I was like, well, if I take that out of my voice, what's left? Like mm-hmm. that is such a, you know, it's a pillar of, what, of the way that I write. So I know that that just means that it's not a, you know, it's not a criticism on them at all because they know what books are going to sell in their line. And it literally just means it's not a good fit. I wouldn't do well in that line because I'm not delivering the thing that they want. And in order for me to deliver it, I would need to compromise something about my own voice. So that is also a really big thing, specifically in category. It's often why people get rejected is because the tone or the voice is just not a great match for the product that they're selling. And um, in order for them to keep the integrity and consistency of the line such that the readers are comfortable knowing that they're going to get the experience that they want, uh, that just means that some authors are not going to be a good fit for that. Um, and that happens. You know, sometimes it's about the fact that the, the editor just doesn't connect with the work. Um, that's often a rejection that you'll get with agents is that they don't, um, if they're going to have to represent you for your whole career, they need to feel really connected to the way that you write because if they don't believe in that, then they're going to have a hard time selling the book for you. So, you know, there's any number of reasons and the vast majority of them have nothing to do with us as people. It's just about the way the book fits in with what they're doing as a publishing house or as an agency. Thank you for answering that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, taking it back to Kiss, for anyone who has yet to read a Harlequin Kiss book, how would you describe the line to them? The line is really fun and sadly they're not putting any more books out under this line but thanks to uh digital uh we you can still find all of the books on the harlequin website they're really uplifting fun modern stories that feature sort of go-getting heroines who know what they want in life and aren't afraid to go after it um they have a lot of really fun they're very trope heavy like category books tend to be so if you love like fake relationships and working together and you know best friends uh older brother and all of that stuff lots and lots of those tropes but i think the key thing about kiss is that it's almost like if there was a category version of chiclet and rom-com and contemporary romance kind of all mashed together. It has some of those comedic elements. It has some of those like girl in the city chiclet elements, but it has the mostly dual point of view of male and, and female or hero and heroine in the books um, that you get from a, a romance novel. And it's all kind of blended in together. They're about 50,000 words. So I really liked them because they're kind of an instant gratification read. You can read them quite quickly, but they still contain a really full robust romance story so they kind of give you everything you want very quickly i feel like we have to do a kiss deep dive erin oh there's so many good authors that have come out of that line i know amy andrews has been on your podcast she's one of my personal favorites delightful human um and Kelly Hunter was in there. There's just, yeah, a lot of really great authors in that line. Well, you've also written for some of our just personal favorites. You've written Presents. Um, our co-host Sarah is a huge Blaze fan, and she mm-hmm. sadly couldn't be here today, but she was like, oh my gosh, she wrote for Blaze. <laughs> um, Dare is like my baby. I miss it so much, and mm-hmm. here we are going on a year without it. Entangled's Love Struck, which I love Love Struck. I did not know that it was category when I was reading mm-hmm. it. And the indulgent line from Entangled as well. So what has been some of the takeaways from your experience writing category? One of the 
takeaways is that, especially for authors, we have to find, I guess, if like the category is one circle and we are the other and it's a Venn diagram, what is the part that overlaps between what we do really well and what the category wants to deliver to the reader and being really true to that. So funny story about when Dare got started. So I was writing for Blaze, which was a steamier kind of line. I really loved Blaze as well. And they ended up closing that down and starting up Dare because they wanted to attract a slightly different audience. It was going to be published in a slightly different way. And um, they asked me to come across. And I was, um, we're having a conversation with my agent and the lady that was running the line. She's like, you know, we're looking for like dark and gritty. And how would you feel about writing a sex club series? (laughs) And I was like, have you met me? I'm a literal marshmallow. Like I can't write that. A sex club? (laughs) Yeah. And I said to my agent, I'm like, I, I, I think maybe this is a bad idea. Like I just, I don't, I'm not gritty. I don't know about this. There's a difference between kiss and dare. Let's just be real. Very, very big difference. And so my agent was like, well, just try. Okay. So I wrote a book, a full book. And I was like, I hate this. I hate everything about it. This is just not, something doesn't feel right. So I sent her the book and she read it. She's like, yeah, this is not it. We're not going to go out. This is not you. It doesn't, it sounds like you're trying to be someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had to go and say to my editor, by the way, this is the first time I'm working with you. And also I'm not handing my book in. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, And they were very lovely about it. And they said, look, just go and write something that feels like you. And so I went off and wrote a best friend's older brother, Cinderella, mistaken identity, set at a masquerade ball. It's funny. It's it's kind of like rom-com just with, you know, the heat amped up quite a bit. And it was not at all what they wanted, what they were asking for, I should say. But when I handed it in, my my editor was like, this is, this is great. This is absolutely fantastic. And I found out at the conference, like the following year, that that was the book that they were telling people to go and read if they wanted to submit to the line. So they had gone from writing, wanting this like gritty, like motorcycle club, sex club kind of thing to now they're telling everyone to read this like, you know, funny, (laughs) sexy Cinderella story that was not what they asked for. And in that moment, I was like, I just, I need to learn to trust my own instincts a little bit more. And, you know, I've always been a good student. I want to like please the teacher, kind of have that sort of personality. Um, But I, I sometimes need to take a step back and say, you know, is what they're asking for the thing that I am going to deliver and that I'm good at? Um, or should I, you know, kind of stay more true to myself? And then if it fits, it fits. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And just kind of roll with it that way. So it was actually a really big learning point for me to just write what feels authentic to me. And that when you do that, sometimes that book will take off and do really well and it will um, make readers happy. And it will be, you know, a book that is recommended for authors submitting to the line. I love that so much because when we had author Regina Kyle on, she who also wrote for Blaze and Dare, she said Dare started off as one thing and just kind of gradually morphed into something else. Yeah. And I think if you re if you start from the very beginning, it is very kind of dark and you're like, what are mm-hmm. we doing here? But it gets so much more fun as the series progresses. And yeah. it, it, when you're reading it, you're like, was this intentional? I'm happy that it morphed into this thing. Yeah. And I think that was because when they're starting a new line, sometimes they just don't know exactly how it's going to hit. And I think that 
it was the fact that Unmasked came out, I think it ended up coming out in the third month. So that's, they do four books a month. And so we're sort of like talking that, you know, eight to 12 books in. So mm-hmm. it came out and it did, it's, as far as my Harlequin books go, it's probably one of my best performing books in my back catalogue. And I think they realised at that point, oh, rom-com is starting to take off because this would have been like maybe what, 2017-ish? I think my Bad Bachelor series started the same year. So that rom-com wave was starting to crest. People were looking for these type of books, um, but they like those books with a bit of heat. And it was at that point that they started to like a friend of mine who also writes quite funny books was like, oh, yeah, I can I want to do stuff like that. So she came into the line and it definitely started to change direction at that point. And the motorcycle club thing kind of dropped off and. It, it definitely, it's quite fascinating to look at our, over time, a line completely did a 180 in tone. Um, and that's just because of the, the data from the readers. What books yeah. were they buying? What were they enjoying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Well, are you ready for some round out questions? Yes. All right. What is one film or television show you will never stop watching? I oh, I want to say Game of Thrones, but can we just pretend the last like two seasons didn't happen? <laughs> Can I just watch the first ones again? <laughs> I just, I love it so much. And it was just, yeah, but I, that's like the thing that stops me from rewatching it probably as much as I would. But I just do really love that show. Okay. You know, it's that whole Song of Ice and Fire, whether it's the books or TV shows, I feel like everyone loves it, but is so disappointed at the uh, same time. <laughs> it's like you can't create something that amazing and then just like rush towards the finish line. It makes me sad even now. <laughs> You decide you want takeout for dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. Where do you order from and what's your order? Ooh, uh, one of the places that we really love in Toronto is Kinton Ramen. We're lucky to have uh, one close to us. So I get the shoyu pork ramen uh, with the seasoned egg and it is the best thing ever. I can oh, imagine the food so scene good. there is probably fantastic. Like it's such a huge city, right? Yeah. And it's like you can, I, it's one of the things that I really love about living in Toronto. So my girlfriends and I are kind of, we're from all over the place and we catch up every Every month and we have like a supper club so we take turns at booking a restaurant and we've been going for about four years and we haven't repeated a restaurant that is so cool wow what is one book you wish you could experience reading again for the first time i think the hunger games um, it was, I'd never read anything like that at the time that my sister recommended it to me. I hadn't read a lot of YA. I hadn't read much um, dystopian at that point. And she was the one that basically like shoved the book into my hands. I was like, you have to read this. And it was just so different at that time that I was like, I just, I read it in a weekend. I was completely enthralled. And I, yeah, I would love to have that experience of like not only reading an amazing book for the first time, but like completely discovering a new section uh, in the bookstore that led yeah. to so many other great reads yeah no, absolutely what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on that i will never be on tiktok <laughs> i know controversial right <laughs> everyone loves tiktok and i'm just like guys i just like like my introvert heart cannot take so many social yeah. media app, please i yeah. love you but i just can't <laughs> yeah i i'm not taking a shot at anyone but my spouse uh you know is into tiktok watching it at least but i just i have to walk away because I'm like, that would be so dangerous to me. I would just lose days on that. And so I can't, I just need to stay away. My concentration is a fragile beast. 
Like I do not need that level of distraction in my life. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to, I think, focus a lot more because it's like really hard for me to focus on one thing at a time. And I think it's because I've just been like bored, like out of boredom scrolling. And like I mm. have like TikTok, I know I have to stay away from. Like every now and again, my sister will send me like, oh, look at this recipe. And I'm like, could we not just like send a Pinterest link to a blog where I could read it? Like why? Because if you get on there, you're stuck before you know it's like mm-hmm. five hours later and you've just been watching videos and it's like just stay away. And it's the fact that the platforms are built like that. So a couple of years ago on um, a recommendation from Ronnie Lauren, who's an author that I really love, she uh, recommended the book Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. And I read that and it was like reading the like sections that were from someone that built Facebook talking about how their platforms designed to keep you on there as long as possible. Mm-hmm. That combined with the fact that in the pandemic, a lot of us, like that was all we could do because we were stuck yeah. at home for so long. And, and I actually think that it's deteriorating people's concentration levels yeah. over time. Um, but at the same time, it's also like, oh, but I love like seeing what people are up to. And so it's for me, it's like a, a push-pull thing. It's a constant battle. Yeah. I tell people, I'm like, you have to set an app limit. Just set an yeah. app limit for the day. <laughs> yeah. Or at least turn on the thing that tells you how many screen hours you have on your phone so that you can be horrified enough to like yes. put it down for a little bit. That's yeah. what I did. <laughs> <laughs> What is one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever received? This is going to sound terrible, so I will I will explain, but okay. that you're <laughs> that you're not special. And I think that it's not to say that we don't all have something amazing to offer the world, but I think it sort of comes from a place of like, it, we tend to think that our struggles are very unique, specific to us when a lot of the times we experience, you know, very human things, very human troubles. And, you know, if we just realize that like, this is not just us going through this, that we could be a bit more connected in um, reaching other people that are dealing with the same troubles, the same doubts, the same fears. So I, I actually like it's a tough thing to kind of think about but at the same time I find it comforting because whenever I'm having a hard time it makes me feel a little bit less isolated in the world yeah I want to insert a question before Mm -hmm. Aaron asks the next one so if somebody had never read one of your books and they came to you and they're like what is the one book of yours that you would recommend to readers as like the gateway to Stephanie London what would it be Oh no, that's such a tough question. Um, you know, it's probably going to sound cliche because it's the one that's coming out, but I feel like the Dash Hamwares Prada is kind of me coming to a point in my career where I understand what it is I love. Mm-hmm. And it's got the elements of Bad Bachelor that I like, which is that like tech focus and it's kind of, you know, set in New York and it's fun, it's snappy, but it also has the kind of like deeper emotional layer of like the Aussie Next Door and those books that are sort of about people's lives and the struggles that they have. And so that's all kind of come together in this specific book. And I, I think it's, yeah, I've reached a place finally where I know what my voice is and what it is that I want to write. So, and also dogs. So yes. that I always recommend things with dogs. <laughs> Can I just say like I died I was like okay Jennifer Probst is on the cover and then Terry Wilson blurred yes. the back oh and she's gosh. like this is the book Carrie Bradshaw would have written if she was a dog person and I was like oh my god like this is Terry Wilson <laughs> I know I one of my favorites blurbing this book <laughs> 
So Terry Wilson and I have, I like to think of us as having quite a funny meet cute as like author friends. I met her um, in an elevator at, in New York at the RWA conference because she was wearing the most amazing dress. And I was like, I like, I will die unhappy if I don't tell this woman how incredible her dress is. <laughs> so I went over to her and I was like, I'm, I just, I love your dress so much. You look fabulous. And she like looked down at my name tag. She's like, oh my God, I read your book. And I almost died. And it turns out that that year we both had ballerina books out with Harlequin. And so we did a signed paperback swap. And ever since then, we've kind of like been in each other's orbit. So having her blurb this book was a really, it, it really meant a lot to me. That's amazing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, knowing what you know now, what would author Stephanie London go back and tell herself at the beginning of a writing career? If something feels wrong, it's probably wrong. It just trust your trust your gut a little bit more and be a little more certain in who you are as a person and what it is that you want to write and don't you don't have to listen to someone because they seem to have so much more experience than you if they're telling you to do something that doesn't feel right don't do it yeah oh I yeah. think people need to hear that for real yeah, yeah definitely yeah especially those of us that tend to have a bit of those people pleasing kind of personality traits you know that we tend to, to see that like, you know, there's a lot of people in the industry well-meaningly telling you to do things a certain way. I don't think they do it as a malicious thing, but um, like one of the best things that you can realize as a creative person is just that the way that you do it is fine. You don't have mm -hmm. to change in order to like, you know, earn a place in the industry. You just have to, have to figure out how to make that thing work the best for you that you possibly can. And then pivot when something doesn't, isn't working or doesn't feel right. But yeah, I've had a lot of people in my career, like I, I had an experience where I was kind of told, oh, you shouldn't set your books in Australia or you're not going to find a readership. And I was like, and I listened to that for a little bit and kind of went off in a direction that I didn't love. So yeah, I think listening to your gut and just being like, I am I am enough as I am to, to make it in this industry is a, like a really important lesson for all creatives. I mean, please set more books in Australia because <laughs> look, I've lived in North America for 35 years. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> Give me the escape to Australia, please. Yeah, I'm all about the armchair travel like travel so expensive <laughs> these days give me a book <laughs> so we know we're getting scouts books next is there anything else you're working on that you can tell us about yeah, so I am, as I said before, I'm writing the third book in the series, which is August's book. So you do also meet August in the first book. She is the dog groomer that kind of becomes friends with Isla and Scout. And um, in the third book, there is a dog talent competition that takes place in upstate New York. And uh, the dog in that book is a dramatic husky named Molly, who doesn't like to be told what to do. And it is a whole load of um, dog talent show shenanigans, including getting them to take photos in costumes and doing stunts and all kinds of things. So it's a it's a best friend's older brother. There's only one bed kind of story. Oh, love it. Yeah, I love that. That trope is I very underrated, trope. I feel. So. <laughs> when I haven't seen it a lot lately, too, like it, uh, it seems like I, I would see it a lot, you know, for a while, but then it just kind of kind of disappeared. But I guess that's just the, the cycle. It's of cyclical. Things. Yeah, yeah. So that one is, um, I think it's going to be coming out sometimes mid 2023. And um, then I'm also I have a, a series of Christmas books that are set in Patterson's Bluff. So the same location as the Aussie next door and her Aussie holiday. And every Christmas I come out with one or two of those um, Christmas books, uh, Hot Christmas, which is a bit different than the, the average Christmas book. So we've got uh, <laughs> one coming out this year for that as well. Oh, awesome. Wonderful. 
Yeah. Well, lastly, where can everyone follow you online? Uh, so the best place to go would be my website. So that's www.stephanie-london.com. And it's Stephanie with an F because my parents wanted to make my life difficult. So <laughs> F, not PH. <laughs> Everything you need to know is there. Um, my newsletter is there. That's the, probably the best place to go for updates. And I do lots of giveaways and fun um, stories about my life and me putting my foot in my mouth constantly. So, Well, thank you so much for talking yes. to us today. This has been incredible. We've been so excited and it was just such an honor like we talked to stephanie london yeah <laughs> oh my goodness I, <laughs> thank so you so actually, much for having me real quick could i make a request could you just give a shout out to sarah real quick who really yeah. wanted to be here yes hi sarah i'm so sad i didn't get to speak to you today but hopefully fingers crossed next time we will yes. cross paths <laughs> yes she was like freaking out. She was like the biggest Blaze advocate of all time. And she's like, oh my God, she wrote for Blaze. I have to talk to her. But she had to work. So, yeah. <laughs> and she lives in Toronto too. And like the commute itself is like oh, an God. hour for her. So, yeah, I yes. feel that. It's a lot. But thank well, you so much yeah. for having me. This was super fun. It well, was, we'll have yeah. links. All, we'll have all the links to where listeners can keep up with you in the show notes as well as where they can get the book. Guys, you have to read. I call it Camilla's book. Go get your hands on the Dachshund Wears Prada by Stephanie London, guys. It's incredible. We loved it. Stephanie, please come back. Like, come back after the next book if you want. Like, whenever you want, please come back. We'd love to have you. And thanks for listening, everybody. Erin and I will chat with you in our next episode. Have a lovely day. Mm